Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly glimpse into one of the most exciting restaurant and bar scenes in America in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Al Mancini, joined by Jason Harris on our own as we record this week because our producer Rich Johnson is attending a podcast convention. I should have just said he was at the Nashville office this week. Uh, but we are very hopeful that he will learn enough while he is there to fix whatever mistakes we make during these sessions before you hear them. Anyway, while Rich is traveling, Jason has returned from the road. Yeah, I was just in the Reno office, Al. Uh, <laughs> we have offices all over. And I, I noticed you say Nevada. And does that still, uh, you know, be both, since we're both from New Jersey, we want to say Nevada. But we both do it right, Nevada. That's how we got to say it. I think I've gotten it down after all this time. That's not a beer in the background. That's actually a rock That's star. Either way, whatever. Uh, Reno's a pretty cool food scene. I got to say, I recommend it. I had a... Uh, some really, really interesting food up there. There's a rice box kitchen. Chef Parapal was doing like these pop-ups in uh, San Francisco, but couldn't find a brick and mortar till he moved to Reno. And he does like Thai style fried chicken and rice. Think, you know, Sheridan over at every grain, but kind of move that to the Thai style. I love this place, Homage, which is a coffee house built out of a house. They do a lot of things like that. And they bake everything in the house delicious quiche there lastly quok's bistro handmade noodles handmade dumplings the best general so's chicken i've ever had three little tips if you get up to reno okay if i ever get to reno i'll dig up this episode and listen again and check out those places if i ever get to reno so <laughs> probably never okay anyway here in las vegas i need to start by saying i returned to main street provisions in the arts district and while i don't want to dig too deep into that today i think we should wait till we do our arts district episode I got to say, I'm more impressed than ever. Um, Justin and, and I think Jessica have assembled what I think may be the most exciting menu in Las Vegas right now. So if you haven't been in yet, go check it out. There's too much to say, really, to get get started on it. But have you been there? Man, I haven't been there since you and I went for the opening and just had snacks. And that's not a, any type of you know uh, referendum on them. That's just me not having had a chance to be back. But I know it's... They're great. They're great over there, and they're going to be doing peyote soon. So I got to go, man. You, you got to pressure me and peer pressure me into this, please. You're doing peyote soon. Anyway, that that's a whole other topic. But um, oh god, I, you know, I I did play also a visit to a new spot on Durango Drive, kind of across the street from Mint Indian Bistro, um, and this is the awkwardly named House of Dutch Pot. Which right. makes it seem like it should be a coffee shop in Amsterdam, doesn't it? Where you mm. get really stoned. The house maybe, of Dutch pot. Maybe that's the, the move. Is they're saying like, well, people don't know what the Dutch pot is, so they'll think it's that. But when they get here, they're going to want the food anyway. It's a Caribbean joint. My favorite dish um, of the few that I tried was the goat curry. I would definitely recommend that. Haven't tried the patties yet. Um, so I want to get back and check those out. Yeah, I'll quickly recommend somewhere to get patties from if you want. Yod Patty. Uh, Ryan DeMaria uh, doing it off of Instagram, Instagram only. He does jerk chicken and Jamaican patties. Did a year and a half of research to make these patties authentic. He has a Jamaican wife, so he has uh, the best test audience that there is. Okay, so there's um, two Caribbean recommendations for you this week. Uh, in the meantime, I didn't invite you along to the House of Dutch Pot, but we did dine together once this week at the fairly new Greek restaurant in Henderson, and that was your recommendation, so why don't you tell us a bit about it? Hella's Bakery Cafe. I just keep seeing everyone talk about how great it is, and you know it's their favorite Greek place in town, so we had to get there. We haven't been there. They have this impressive... Uh, display case of all these sweets and they're doing some beef dishes uh, beef dishes greek dishes that involve beef uh that you don't see at some other places we got pasticcio and beef stew over orzo and um i had this like kind of walnut tart for a dessert i thought it was pretty good and it's very popular yeah they were they were pretty solid and uh, you know i definitely enjoyed that meal other than the fact that I had to sit next to you and argue about this podcast. But, you know, what did was, I do? <laughs> I'm trying to be nice today. Nah, you were good. You were good. And we had a good time. Uh, I really like the pestizio over there. The beef stew was solid as well. It was a little strange for me to have it over orzo. 
And I, then the desserts, man. I mean, you can't leave that place without getting one of those. That's desserts. the highlights, and you go in and you see the case. Um, you know, the Orzo was the reason I picked it because it's you know we don't really use Orzo as much as we could in in this country in this neck of the world. But uh, the pasticcio, Al, when it rains in the fall or it's winter, how is that? That's going to be a great rainy day, day meal there. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a good um, stick to your ribs kind of a dinner. So I'll be heading over to Henderson for that. Um, look, I have a complaint about my week. Nobody knows. I mean, everybody know, that knows me knows that I'm a big crumble cookie fan. There are very few people. I mean, you should see my frequent flyer miles on crumble cookie app. Um, but I've kind of got a bitch about them today. You know, I'm there like about at least once a week. Super convenient app. I love it. You can order it. They bring the cookie to your car. Freaking awesome. Right. And they're just over the top and ridiculous. But I kind of got pissy because I was looking on the app and when you start ordering them and you, you, you're putting them in your, you know, your box, ordering the cookie, tells you the calorie count. And each cookie has a number under it. It says like 100 calories or 110 calories. Literally, these are the numbers, people. Go check it out. And I'm like, there is no freaking way that this is. And then I look down. It says two servings per cookie. I'm like, okay, that's still pretty great. 200, 220 calories. I'm like, this has to be bullshit. It just has to be bullshit. And I then I, somebody, I went online. I started talking about it. And all my friends are like, no, that's bullshit. You can't believe that. And somebody pointed out that if you go to the menu page, and you poke on the cookies and you touch them, it tells you there's something like f- between five and six servings per cookie, mm. depending on the cookie. And that brings it up to like 500 or 600 calories per cookie. And I tried to email the PR team over at um, over at Crumble Cookie and ask them what the deal was, and they haven't gotten back to me. And that's because I don't have that review journal juice behind me like I used to. Yeah, that's what's really holding you back now, Al, the lack of review journal juice. <laughs> um, <laughs> This that just pisses me off. Like they, they've got to correct this, and I say everybody who hears this complain to Crumble Cookie. Well, they I tell them to return Al's emails. I don't blame you because are they just assuming you're only going to eat one third of a cookie? Because if it's like they're like two ser- two servings equals two hundred calories, but there's six servings in a cookie. Doing the math, as I did very quickly in my head, that's like, oh, I'm going to eat one-third of a cookie. I hate when you go to the grocery or it's like, oh, yeah, this is uh, – you eat three-eighths of this noodle dish and you're still under your calorie count. Like, who's doing that? Why yeah. are we doing that? Nobody's doing that. So stop bullshitting us. Your cookies are amazing. I mean, look, I buy Ben & Jerry's and I know there's 1,200 calories in a pint of that shit. I'll still buy it, right? So just, just stop. Stop lying. Everybody, stop it. And part of the reason that you want to do that is the self-loathing of eating those 1,200 calories – because the worse you feel about yourself, the better you feel about yourself. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, I'm going to charge you whatever your therapist charges you for having this conversation. Um, hey, look, we've got a lot of news to cover today. I spoke with Roy Elmar about his decision to leave the Bellagio. Michael Minas announced big plans with one of our favorite local restaurateurs, who we also chatted with recently. And my favorite vegan ice cream maker. I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say favorite. There's really only one that I she go to. She dominates the whole the whole scene. She dominates. Yes. Um, anyway, she's going to tell us why she's wrapping up her successful arts district pop-up. But first, Al, have you ever looked at a picture of food and just wanted to eat it? Like, have you ever tried to eat your phone screen or just your computer screen? Never mind, Al. Does it make you hungry when you see a nice picture? It works for a lot of us, and some people are making very good livings taking those pictures. We'll talk to two of them next. This is Food and Love. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm still Al Mancini. Jason Harris and Rich Johnson are still with me. But we're coming to you for this segment from Bulldogie's Gourmet Hot Dogs on Fort Apache Road at Sahara. Jason, how would you describe this place? I, You know, I, I love it. They have my 2011 article on the wall reviewing it in City Life. But how would you describe the restaurant we're sitting in? Well, obviously, the most important point is that they have your 2011 City Life review on the wall. I was actually quite excited to see it. It's small. 
it's homey it's a storefront in a mall like kind of like a throwback maybe to you know a time and in a more innocent time al it's a more innocent uh <laughs> looking restaurant however the food is complex there's a lot of things going on here also yellow and red okay and we can see chicago brewing company out the window as we look out across the parking lot right there so that's cool. Anyway, I've always come here for the taste, and there's no denying that Bulldogies make some some damn photogenic hot dogs as well, right? And so I had to bring some people with me today, that with us today, who can talk about the look of food and what it means to actually um, to, to create Instagrammable food. Because in my mind, this is the definitive Instagrammable hot dog, the things they do here. They do, yeah, it's great. And um, I, I, I got to compliment them already. Las Vegas Phil is here, does a great job with their social. Um, the thing is, Al, like, I always want more followers. I'm horrible at, like, getting all, like, people to jump on my food photography. I don't do the lights and the fancy boomerangs and everything. I'm just like, oh, food, I want to eat it, right? But these guys actually take the time to make it look as delicious as it tastes. Yeah, and so our guest today, do you want to tell people who we have here? Sure. I'm going to read what you wrote. You don't have to read what I wrote. I could just tell people who we have. I mean, look, these are the perfect people to join us yeah, for discussion no about Instagrammable. We have Emily Romero and Philip Seng. Um, Emily runs the Eat Me Las Vegas Instagram account, which has nearly 85,000 followers. And Philip runs Las Vegas Phil, and that's F-I-L-L. Like fill up. Like to fill up on it. Yeah. And his account has more than 188,000 followers. Um, is that a lot? I mean, it's like way more than I could ever imagine in the world, but I don't know in Instagram world. That's pretty damn impressive, right? I mean, I think it's impressive. You guys are happy, right? You're not like, you're not going home crying yourself to sleep. Like, oh, only 185,000 people like me. Is this I'm not a Kardashian. <laughs> What's the biggest jump you ever had from one day to the next? Um, I, I don't. I've, I'm kind of known as a slow grower. I'm not. I'm not Las Vegas. <laughs> you're, a, you're a grower, not a shower. Uh, for not sure. A shower, yes. Huh? So um, I did have a recent post that went crazy. It was an onion volcano from Jonga Sushi. Hmm. Um, it's. I think it has over four hundred and. Almost 450,000 likes, Whoa. which has increased my following recently. So that was pretty incredible. Wow. So uh, I want to get into, do you guys consider yourself Instagrammers? How do you describe yourself? Please don't say influencers. Um, Phil always calls. What, 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 what is it that you do? Well, before they do, I got when Phil messages me, he's like, hey, it's Instagrammer Phil Zhang. I'm like, come on, Phil. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Just call yourself Phil. I know you. We go out to lunch sometimes. <laughs> Well, you know what's great, though, is that we actually do see these guys out, right? Yeah. And that, that's very different. And that's the reason I wanted you two on this show, rather than, you know, just finding some weird person that has however many followers that I've never met, that I've never actually seen in the restaurant, that I, that I you know, you guys, I mean, Phil, we, we talked for how long at the Virgin opening, yeah, you know? Quite and, a bit, yeah. and we And we talk about food. And yeah, we right. talk about restaurants. We and trade I, recommendations and everything. Yeah, so I know that if I ask you guys about, you know, like, hey, where would you go for a good bulldogi? You know, you would know where to go. And that, I think, is what's, what's most important to me, is that you have that journalistic sense of, of curiosity and you want to explore the scene and There's, you want to talk to other foodies. You don't just want to exist behind a screen. Is that the norm? Is that what is encouraged in your line of work? I, I think so, especially for us, since yeah. we both do this full time. I mean, part of being social media is being social, being out. Um, I mean, I think when we both quit our jobs, we both knew that we would be out way more often mm -hmm. and it's just part of the gig. So I, yeah. I think it's one of those things that I, we actually truly, truly enjoy food. And if I wasn't doing this for a job, we would be out and about yeah. trying all the new restaurants. Yeah. That's what I did before. That's what I'll do after. I think we just truly care about well, the food. And you guys eat the food, right? Absolutely. Because totally. sometimes when I'm out with yes. a group of Instagrammers. <laughs> this is exactly what I was going to It seems ask. like you don't eat Cause, the food. Uh, yeah, because that's what I mean. They have credibility, right? Because we're eating, we're trying, we're figuring out how we're going to write about you guys. Like, you know, we can trade recommendations, like I said. But there are a lot of Instagrammers who are just like, set up, ring like, picture, picture, cool angle. I'm leaving, right? Right. There's something to be said about... I mean, there's a lot of people that just love the camaraderie of being in the social media circles and things like that. And we've had huge foodies, both of us have had huge foodies from out of town, come in, shoot like 25,000 calories worth of food and not even touch 
anything, yeah. which was yeah. disturbing. Yeah, I mean, and that, that just bothers. Oh, I mean, it's, look, I'm a storyteller at heart, right? And I, I'm, I'm always looking for the best angle for the story. I don't even just want to describe the dish. And I always take crappy photos. I like, people complain about how bad my photos are all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm just looking for that angle. I'm looking for that one fun thing to talk about. So for me, if you're not tasting the food, you know, like, what's the point? Right. And exactly. before you jump in, just so you know what a storyteller he is, there's an article on the wall from 2011 <laughs> at this place. Legendary. That was the last story I told. Yes. <laughs> I've, it's taken me that long to come up with my follow-up. But yeah, but I'm, I'm, I am the salinger of food writing. <laughs> so everyone, when you enter the bulldogies, turn left, right there on the left. Talk about what They pulled happened. that, by the way, out of the um, storage room in the back when they found out I was coming. Phil right. called. Went to said, Michael's beforehand, that? got a frame. Yeah. No. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> what, uh, well, The credibility has to mean something to you guys, though. I mean, I personally find it really important. I know there are, I mean, you, most of the community is great, but there's always going to be somebody who's in it just to, to promote themselves. I, To me, it's I've always been in it because I want, like you said, tell the story of the restaurant, of the food. That's always been my, I mean, I would not compare myself to you guys. I get a little intimidated when I go to some of the media events and I see you guys because I'm like, oh, there's the real, the real So I do, I, I admit, I, I am a little intimidated, but I love food so much and I find it so interesting and I really want to experience Las Vegas from that point of view. So um, it's just always been a priority to me. So a, a thing that happens a lot is that... Um, they, they say you guys at one table and this is the reason old media and new media everybody <laughs> yeah. wants to talk about like how we don't get along and that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you guys on this thing early because I uh, mean I'm a this is our kumbaya moment as far as I'm concerned I love you guys I think you're brilliant I think everybody should follow your accounts and I I, I do so that I can learn things right but but I blame some of the publicists for that, right? Because they sit you guys on one table all the way at one side of the room, and they sit us at our table. And I'll never forget a night, um, Beauty in Essex, Chris Santos, and, and all the Instagrammers are done on one side, and we're all down the other side, and Chris goes to your end of the table, and nobody would talk to him because you're all lighting your shit, right? And then he comes to my end of the table, and we're done. Like, the entire <laughs> yeah. meal, it's gone. There's like not a bite already. to be had. You guys haven't that. had a bite, and you wouldn't talk, and we're already, yeah, we're done, Chris. I think that's good. why they, they, se they see us separately is because I sometimes get a little agitated if I'm with an Instagrammer or someone and I'm like, that food's getting cold. You got to eat it now. I need to, you know, I need to try it. So, um, yeah, I could imagine just me sitting at a table with you guys and yeah. Bob and Emmy and all those guys just all waiting. They're like, hurry. Yeah. That's how my <laughs> wife feels when she goes out to dinner with me and I just take my crappy yeah, pictures, exactly. right? She's like, can I eat this? Like, yeah. no, I want to get a vertical one in case I have to put it on TikTok or some shit I haven't even heard of yet that I might need it <laughs> in that direction, right? So it, it does scare me. You leads to the question, is your food warm when you eat it? Because I've judged food competitions on TV. I've, I've shot TV shows. So has Jason. And one of the dirty little secrets about doing food TV uh is that the more expensive that dish is, the less likely they are to make you a second version. So your crew shoots every beauty shot in the world, and I mean, they take a lot longer than you do, and then you're supposed to go on camera and eat it as if, mmm, yum, this is good, yeah. ice-cold foie gras that I'm eating right. in the back of a pickup truck, you know? Like, um, so my question is, do, is the food still warm when you eat it? I think it depends. It depends on why we're there and for you know what reason. A lot. Phil and I go out to dinner quite a lot, um, and I think we've kind of perfected the efficiency of just getting the shot that we need, and then we really just want to get down with the food. So yeah, it um, depends. Really depends on yeah. who you're with. Uh, uh, we, I mean, a couple of foodies are well known to take really take their time and and want to get it done. Do you guys uh, all curse at them behind their backs? Yeah. Tell us Maybe which. No, those. no, we just know that. Should I just not be seated by them? Or? No, no, we just know it's part of the deal with <laughs> yeah. them. So, but yeah, I mean, you and I, I yes. think, uh, do a great job to be able to still eat warm food. Yes. Quick follow-up. Um, which of the Instagrammers do you hate? <laughs> Just I say mean, Jason. I mean, it's not Phil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there is someone else. Yeah. I don't know. I don't the think juice. there's a dislike. No, there really isn't. I think yeah. we all appreciate each other. I don't know, obviously, all of them. Um, you know, I, I've known most of the ones I work with for a really long time. Um, I think I've known Phil, gosh, over a decade for sure. Yeah. Um, but no, 
I mean, I think we appreciate everyone has their own thing to like bring to the table, and we appreciate what they what that is. Which yeah. of us old media people do you hate the most? <laughs> just say Jason. Just say uh, Jason. Everybody does. Um, listen, we, so, so I want to follow up on that because. Like, do you guys know, like, oh, this one's going to be a hit? Like, is you don't while you're... I know. Yeah. I do and I don't, because sometimes I'm really excited about a dish, and I'm like, yes, this is the one, and then it just kind of just sits there, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is it, Phil, that when you're... When I mean, you're... personally for me, it's always lobster and crab. Yeah, he's the king always... of... The lobster king, is what yeah, I call him. That's a guaranteed 10K likes. One question about the follow-up. Is there more than the picture? Is there any text? Do you write about what I'm looking at right there and describe it? We do. Um, I think, obviously, it depends on what the item is. Um, I I usually try to add a little humor to my caption. um, And then the information about the restaurant where you can get it. Yeah, I go into why why it was a great dish, why I loved it, and why they should have it too. Do you feel that um, that this younger generation coming up, because that's clearly you know whenever you're the newer the media, the younger the generation, are they are they reading that text? Do do they care about it, or are you just doing it because you just have to get it off your chest that you're saying what you thought about that? <laughs> I'm gonna say at least, uh, probably less than fifty percent really read the caption. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, both of. Emily and I still get DMs about when our restaurant, you know, right. where our restaurant is. I ask for the people ask for reservations all the time, plug, and I'm like, "Plug your restaurant, guys." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Yeah. You um, know, it's funny because Al, um, Phil, and I were out once to Mint, which we just recorded that, which is yep, great. I listened to that. Yeah. Yeah, great. and um, you told me that I should have a TikTok, like a food TikTok, and I said, "What? <laughs> Explain, like, why? Why? How do you choose a medium?" For a personality, et cetera, et cetera. And are you worried that it's going to be the next MySpace once you invested all your time into it and it just disappears? Because you guys, I would say Instagram is your forte. Yeah. At the moment, yes. Yeah. At the moment. For sure. But well, everything's you know, we're always, everything's everyone's moving to TikTok. I, I have yeah. a TikTok. So you guys are, are active a, on there. Oh, yeah. Heavily more involved. Yeah. Why, why did you think that TikTok would be like a, a place for me? Just your, I feel like you go beyond your personality the way you express yourself goes beyond just taking a picture, putting in a caption. I think it, with TikTok, you're able to be more yourself. So we want to actually, if, if Jason were to go on the TikTok, the TikTok, yes, if you were to go on the, yeah, TikTok, let's go on the TikTok, would he actually share his verbiage on the TikTok? Yeah. Or, yeah, so, yeah, so, so we'd have his beautiful face holding up the food. Well, you don't have us. to have my face, but you'd have the narration. Uh, yeah, right. correct. So. Yeah, a big thing, especially with the Vegas foodies in the last year, has been the voiceover. Um, well edited videos with a voiceover, kind of like an audio review of their whole experience. Uh, and that's really taken off. Yeah, and I, I mean, when I utilize sound bits for TikTok. It's usually something I, it doesn't even have to be related to the food. Sometimes I'll just take something that I find funny. So I think that is the perfect venue for that. Well, what, um, you, what, what editing programs are you guys using? Are you just going right on your phone or? I personally, uh, for photos, I use um, Snapseed. Um, and then for videos, I use Splice. Same. You, know, you, you say for photos and for videos, but when I look at both of your feeds right now on Instagram, I don't see a lot of photos anymore, and that and that just makes me mad because I'm always like, you know, I'm always like five, ten years behind you guys, right? So I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I just started doing photos. I just kind of got the hang that my photos aren't that bad, and now the cool kids aren't even doing photos anymore. It's all videos. So are photos done? Are we done with photos now? No. I feel, I feel that sentiment, exactly what you said was me a few years ago when everyone started kind of moving to videos because I was so disappointed that I wouldn't be able to utilize as many photos but I still am able to in carousels so like you'll see the video and then usually I'll have a f- couple photos as well Re- really quickly you said splice and snapseed for those who might not know sure how do they how do they utilize those is it- yeah splice is just an excellent uh, video editing app on your phone and we do everything on our phones okay and uh, and it's, you're able to add music to it uh, narration uh, you know, all the cuts, all the edits that you need to condense it to mm-hmm. a 30 second video because yep. these days these people don't have enough. Or even shorter. Span, or I, even shorter, 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Old man Phil over here. These yeah. days, these, these kids don't have enough. These days, these kids. Back I when I started yeah. as a social media. <laughs> I started with one minute long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how hard it was uh, to walk in the mile of snow to get there. Yeah. Uh, 
I had to wait 20 minutes for it over. <laughs> but but I, I feel differently about photos than Emily. I, I really feel like it's dead. It's dead yeah. completely. I mean, wow. how many... Hot uh, dogs are yeah, arriving at the table, Caleb's. which are pretty awesome, by the way. How oh. many... <laughs> how many food photographers are actually killing it on, on Instagram That's right true. now? That's true. In Vegas. I still do like looking at photos. So I, I mean, I mean, I guess. Yeah. It just depends. Um, All right. Well, we have our first influencer fight I here. Know. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. um, you, Jason was asking about the equipment software-wise for you. Uh, th- I want to talk about hardware-wise, right? Because this is, look, not everybody's going to be a professional Instagrammer. And not everybody, even all of them, are not going to have influence, because don't overuse that word. You, somebody else has to tell you you have influence. You don't tell me yourself, but you guys don't, and I appreciate that. But everybody takes food pictures, everybody, and a lot of people now are going to take videos, and that's the reason everybody's taking videos, because all the little kids are taking videos, so now we all got to be like, imitate the five-year-old. So, okay. But, so we all want to be able to take good stuff. Even before you get to the splicing, the, the editing software that Jason talked about, what do you need to go into a restaurant to make sure you can get good pictures? Because I've been doing this for 20 years, and there are still places that the minute I walk in the door, I know that you know this is going to be crap because I don't have lights and I don't Carbone. have anything. Yeah. <laughs> have a place like that, yeah. Uh, so what do, what should you bring with you? And do I really have to look like I've got my own? You know uh, that I'm getting ready to shoot a short film in order to go to, to dinner if I just want to document. Can it? I audition for your Instagram video, <laughs> sir? <laughs> So um, we both just use our phones. Yeah. Yeah. N- neither of us own real cameras. I own one, but I don't oh, really use, use I mean, I thought I was going to, like, oh, I'm going to be a professional. You know, I use my phone. It, yeah. It does much better. Yeah. Um, and the most easier. important thing is the handheld light. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So um, you, you carry a handheld light, so really no bigger. How, how large is it? About the size of your phone? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And what's one of those bad boys cost you? Uh, this one's 30 bucks on Amazon uh, with a couple of batteries, maybe 50 bucks. Yeah. Right. When you do the videos, you don't worry about a gimbal or things like that because you're not walking through the room, or do you worry about that? Not really. I have one. I've used it. I have all those little things. (laughs) I have, like, the sticks and the everything, but it's usually much easier just everything by hand. Well, it's funny because Rich has constantly trying to give me new microphones (laughs) to use for my interviews, and every time I come back from one, I'm like, my phone sounded better than this. I liked it better. He doesn't agree with me all the time, but um, so, no, I get that, you know. Uh, so crazy hot dogs are arriving. Oh my! Yes. Assorted toppings, which we will yeah. showcase on our social yeah, we'll media. Those on our social so media. So we can be more importantly, we'll just send you over to these two beautiful yeah. people. Yeah, we got to get out of the way. I, I have a question. Now. Oh no, no, we. I mean, he's like, no. Um, <laughs> Bill's me, probably done uh, fifty-eight thousand shots of this before. How have you guys been to a restaurant that you would recommend, like personally as a food fan, but like? From an Instagram standpoint, their dishes just, like, don't pop for you? Sure. There's plenty of those. There's so many. Really? This is news to me. No, and so, like, what happens then, right? Like, do you try to come up with a creative way to feature it? Do you try to make the room speak? Do you try to just adjust it with really pretty bottles of wine behind it? I mean, because (laughs) clearly, if you want to promote the restaurant, whether you're doing it for money or whether you're doing it for fun and for your friends. Love of the game. We we do it because we want to promote restaurants. So you've got a great restaurant, and it's phenomenal, but all they do is put out dishes that just don't don't photograph well do you just offer them a consulting contract on how to make their dishes look better <laughs> is that how you get your is accounts, there a way guys? that you could yeah. do that so i mean i mean stories are the easiest way to to do it if we can't do a video or or the we know like ethiopian food will not kill it on on instagram and social media right so um Usually stories are the kind of the default, and thousands of people still look Absolutely. at that and, and ask us about it. Yeah. So. All right, let's have Al paint a word picture here. How, how is that and what is oh. that? He I'm just not even sure what I'm eating. So you're I eating mean, the Hawaiian dog okay. uh, with bacon and pineapple salsa mm. and some scallion. Okay. A little sweet and savory. What, um, well, Al eats, let me, no. let me ask you questions here. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. What, um, and otherwise he doesn't. You guys, bo- I mean, I know you eat. run other restaurant accounts. Emily, do you as well? Yes. How do you choose? Like, are there people you've turned down based on what your style is that that just doesn't match for what you want to bring out? So I think it's a little different because I think uh, Phil has his own company. Um, I actually work with an agency, um, so I, I'm I don't run a whole lot of accounts. I do a lot of project management and production management at the company, so um, I don't bring in the sales. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I do have the options of what I would like to handle and what I would not like. That's to pretty great. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me because people try to pit old media and new new media against each other, et cetera. But I don't see there as being any competition between what a traditional writer does or a TV journalist and what you guys do. I do see there as being, just from the outside, a split between what you guys do and what an old school professional photographer does, right? Totally. And um, you know, and we, we're friends with a lot of the really good ones in yep. this town, the Eric Kabigs, the um, Sabin, you Sabin know, or, yep. Sabin Orr. I mean, those guys are fantastic. It seems to me that you're almost more in direct competition for them because, just to clarify, you get hired by the restaurant to take gorgeous pictures of their food, put them on your media channel, which those photographers don't do. They, they then turn them over to the restaurant, and the restaurant puts them in the media channel. So you are, you're both the professional photographer, the hired gun photographer, and the medium right and you are your own channel so is there a is there any kind of animosity between like the old school photographers that you're kind of cutting into that that work do you want to take this i will take this actually because <laughs> at my agency and, and there's do you want to different, name your agency it's jump force uh jmp force um, and it's basically because we can't have vowels anymore. <laughs> well, it's actually <laughs> Jeremy, Mindy, and Paul. So JMP. Um, so yeah, it was founded, and it's an all influencer. But we do utilize um, photographers and videographers, and it just depends on the project. Like obviously, some if we're just doing content for social media, we don't necessarily need you know big budget videos or big budget photo shoots. But we often do menu shoots, or we'll have to do provide something to media where they need photography or videography, or if they need a commercial or something for inside their restaurant, they need something on their television, they'll need a full, fully produced video. So we are able to offer that. But yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, I know there are several photographers that have sour grapes that they've lost gigs and things like that because of we don't have to charge as much as they used to um, yeah. for, the same, for the same job. Um, it doesn't take us three days to edit 40, 40 pictures or... Yeah do videos and things like that so for someone who wants to get into your line of work what tips do you have for them so i would i mean have a don't be boring in the caption have an opinion um and then yeah i would have a light or be able to take the food outside when you, when you yeah it. natural yeah. light is so important natural yeah. light is so much better on everything even i know that just from using my own <laughs> phone and then a lot of times i use the um the cool setting on the iphone right the cool color seems to it fixes it a lot of that yellow. But since it's in. you, it's just nice. default. It's <laughs> cool. It's cool. <laughs> but uh, I'm constantly on the scour for new influencers all the time, whether it's on TikTok or IG. If It doesn't matter if they have 500 followers or five followers. If I mean, good work is good work, and uh, they're going to blow up at some point. So Yeah, if they're, if they're shooting beautiful pictures, right, that's yeah. more important. But for those who want to get followers... I guess a, a couple questions. I'm going to hit, them, hit you with them at the same time. How do you get them? Is it about what you hashtag your photos? Is that the deal? Is that how you get it out there? Or are you buying? Are you paying some service to find followers for you? I mean, you know, because, I mean, look, people just don't follow me. So I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't get it. But that makes sense because I'm not doing stuff that's that good. But for young, good people that want to make sure that they can get people to hit that follow button, how would you do that? I think consistency. Consistency is really important as far as posting regularly. Um, also post, I, off, from an authentic point of view, I think it's so important to post stuff that you would actually truly endorse or, um, I usually just post what I like and it's from that perspective that I'm coming from. I don't know if that's necessarily what is needed, but it's what I do. But yeah. I wonder how people find Instagrammers, right? Because like the deal is if, if we go back to the olden days, like Facebook, if I post something solid, my friends can all hit share. They don't because I don't sure. post many things that are solid, but they could hit share, right? But so, so that spreads the web of the people who are seeing what I've done. Instagram, unless I just haven't found it, doesn't have a share button, right? So if people haven't already found you, how are they finding so, you? So what I would do off the bat, if you were a foodie with zero followers, right today, um, I start doing reels. Um, that is the easiest way to to get new followers. Um, in a way, it's kind of like the lottery ticket now. It is. Um, what is no, it'll just hit. So explain that. To reels is basically like an Instagram me. version of TikTok. So you do uh, up to a 30-second video, um, whether it's a voiceover or just you know what's going on. Uh, you can just explain where you are. Um, I think that. Instagram's been pushing the hell out of that because TikTok's been blowing up so much. 
that and then Emily was just saying the one that yeah. you have like 450k likes or whatever that was that's, a real that was a real um, and then so people come ac- can come across that randomly right. who aren't already following you it's yeah. it's interesting because we haven't mentioned Snapchat at all and like two years ago was Snapchat Snap 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 you know and it's so fu- it's, it's funny what catches on and what just falls off and yeah. everything. Well, I, I believe when Melinda Shekels was trying to convince me to go on TikTok about three years ago in LA, I turned around to her and said, I thought you were telling me to get on Snapchat. She's like, no, Snapchat's dead. Get on TikTok. And I'm like, okay, Sorry, take a picture of me. Here I am. Yeah, and that is the problem. Though. Do you worry about that? Do you worry that you're going to get too heavily invested in the next one? You know, I made the MySpace joke earlier, but there's a reason that I'm slow to adopt. I mean, I don't do things very quickly. I don't make big career moves very quickly. And, you know, I don't. I got 5,000 people on Facebook. I don't want that not to be good anymore. Like, what? I got to tell them all to piss off. And I'm trying to move them over to the Food and Loathing, you know, site, followed me there. So so that they don't bitch about my politics and stuff that I post on my personal site, and they won't move. Like those people <laughs> yeah. just won't move over, right? So, so you get. I get worried that you know how much time and effort am I going to put into getting on TikTok, only to have somebody tell me it's not cool anymore. That's There's true. always going to be something new. Yeah. And I think you just have to be flexible and open to the new options. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's just the way. Just the way it is to be to be relevant in food and social marketing. Um, you have to do it. So I think uh, Instagram has probably seen its best days. Uh, yeah, I, I would probably agree with yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it had a, a f- five-year, eight-year run. Oh, yeah. And then TikTok will most likely have a, another five-year, eight-year run before we're all onto something else. How have many you got- followers does somebody have to have? Sorry, I just stepped on you there, Jason. No, that's okay. How, I many f- mean- how many followers to get to where you can start charging people money to do this? I know there's no magic number. I know it depends the quality. But let's be honest. You have 180,000 or 80,000 or 20,000 followers. You don't know the quality of all of them, right? So how many do you need where people are just like, ah, hell, that's a big number. Okay, here's some money. Go take beautiful pictures. So it used to be 10K on Instagram. Um, I'd say 10, 20K now. For sure. In charge. Yeah. yeah. How many before you can start being one of those obnoxious people that calls publicists and asks for free stuff? <laughs> and how do you avoid getting that reputation? Which, yeah. you know, they could, look, we all know that there's people in all of our fields. Yeah. There's journalists who do that. There's Instagrammers who do that. There's yeah. Yelpers who do that. Whatever. So, like, how do you interact with that community? I mean... I personally, I've always prided myself. I don't actually, I've never, not one time have I ever reached out for a free meal or anything. Amen. And and I I know that's not, I think that's pretty rare. Um, And it's totally fine if you do that, but it's just not what I'm comfortable with. So if I want to eat somewhere, I'm just going to go there and pay money to eat it. I love it. So if I get invited, Mm -hmm. that's one thing, but I will never reach out. Yeah, and plus, cause, oh, we're also on the other side of that. We receive um, yes. requests from influencers <laughs> all the time through the restaurants that we run, and it's so fucking annoying when they want to come in like two hours before. Right. It's very know, entitled. Time. Like, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Um, w- each of you, one really photogenic dish that you on, that you are in love with in Vegas and one great place for a selfie. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. I love. No, nope, nope. you can only choose one. Only one. No. Yeah, oh, you get one dish. It's like that one death row thing. Blow up. Nah. That you that you're proud of. That that's your. That you would send people to shoot yeah. as well. For okay. you, that you like, would shoot hey. a young Instagrammer and go, hey man, you're gonna get a beautiful shot if you go to this restaurant and order this dish. Um, for me personally, the things that have done the best have been Hawaiian food and seafood. Um, so I usually will go to Joe's um, Crab. Um, in the forum shops and the king crab always does really well for me and then on the other side of that on a more like approachable price point um, Hawaiian uh, for Hawaiian food island flavor the furikake chicken always does really well for me it's just over the top it's large portions and it, it's just delicious and a selfie spot selfie spot i don't do a lot yeah, of we selfies don't, we don't put ourselves in the that's the thing i think that's anymore. i think that <laughs> differentiates because i don't feel like i'm that's ever cool. really the forefront but do you do of room anything shots? because i think if you take a beautiful room shot that yes. would for someone else be a selfie spot right okay. so like you know i always tell people you know i mean the, the hallway the, the catch, easy ones, catch it are yeah, uh, catch is, like that. yeah it comes to i've actually not been to catch yeah. but um gosh where would my favorite be probably what, what were you going to say? I mean, you think about all the people that go to the catch hallway. That, don't that yeah, that is very photogenic. You know, just, yeah. just go in there. But uh, I would say that would be the best place. Okay. What and about a dish for me, dish. Phil? Uh, Amano. Amano uh, up on Ann and 95, the fat babies, pasta stuffed in a giant hoagie. 
Um, that always kills it. Yeah. Yeah, especially on TikTok, though. Cool. cool. Well, this You're gonna have has to been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, as we said, we can find these guys on Instagram. Eat Me Las Vegas for Emily. And Phil is at Las Vegas Phil. Al, you can find on Friendster. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably. And you can find me on the wall at um, Bogarty's, yeah, and which is um, old school. you got to learn to read words. I also now. wanted to go back to the first question you guys asked. Uh, the influencer uh, title, uh, I don't like it. I hate it. But the, And also Foodie. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah I we never liked it. I, yeah. But no. there's, there's I don't mind foodie, but I, I feel like influence is something that everyone in the media hopes to have. Yeah. And you can't declare that you have it. And, you know, I, I said, I put this on social media the other day. It was like, you know, the year the Ramones put out their first album, took them 28 years to sell 500,000 copies. Same year Boston put out their first album and sold, you know, 30 million copies really quickly. Yeah. Which one has had a bigger influence on music, right? So numbers right. don't necessarily have to do with influence. Right. I saw you put that on uh, Patron. Tanya's uh, Facebook uh, <laughs> post. Yeah. That, that resonated to me because some one of the influencers uh, introduced herself with the number of followers she had. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. For Al, Boston yeah. is more than a feeling. Hey, <laughs> follow me on Magerba Gerber. That's a new social media Phil and Emily haven't even heard of yet. I have seven followers and already. Bye. The photos we took of these um, these hot dogs will be on Food and Loathing Pod. That's our Instagram page. You guys should go look at it sometimes. I try. I really try. I, I really follow try. It. Anyway, we'll be back with a little more after this. This, of course, is Food and Loathing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. There's been a lot going on this week among some of our favorite chefs and restaurateurs, so let's get right into the news. Oh man, this one kind of hurts, although I'm always happy for a friend who's moving on to other projects. Royden Elamar, the chef whose name is outside of Harvest in the Bellagio, is leaving his eponymous post August 14th. And we have so many great memories over there, Al. I love this place. I love Roy. Uh, I know you spoke to him about that, and uh, let's hear let's hear some of that. So, how did you come up with the idea to do the snack wagon takeovers? Because that was really for a lot of people what was just groundbreaking about that restaurant. Uh, for the Las Vegas Strip to reach out to outsiders, that's not something it was known for. Um, I'm not sure how the whole idea came about. I mean, we we came up with the idea of the snack wagon that was uh, the first initial idea to service the lounge and then we were looking for a way to promote it and uh, we came up with the idea to showcase MGM chefs somehow organically it grew to include local chefs I started looking around at what everybody was doing off the strip and saying hey we should give these guys a platform uh, you know to support their restaurants and I always thought that if the restaurant seen locally could grow and become uh, more well-renowned, then that's good for everybody. You know, it helps to solidify Vegas as a dining destination. Were there any um, particularly memorable ones for you? With the local chefs or with all with chefs? With any of them, Oh man. my God, they, they were all so much fun. I think uh, one of the big ones was Paula Brandt. That was a huge one. Um, you know, being able to cook with him and to have him in the restaurant um, was, was amazing. Um, and then just having all the local guys, Brian Howard and, and uh, Justin Hall and, uh, and Dan Cromer, all those guys to be able to come, you know, into the Bellagio and do their food uh, and to share those moments with them. It was, it was special. What made you decide that now is the time to leave? And are you able to share anything about your future plans with us? Well, um, 2020 uh, kind of showed me a lot about myself and, uh, and my goals and what it is I want to do. With, uh, with my career and my personal life. Um, so yeah, for now, um, I'm gonna take time off. I'm gonna travel the country. I'm gonna cook with friends around the country and uh, learn more about food and learn more about culture. Um, learn more about all the things that I loved doing at Harvest. You know, uh, the ingredients, the people, the how the dishes tie into a memory or, or whatever that is. 
and uh, I'm gonna take my time and, and travel and I just bought an RV and we're gonna hit the road uh, the day after my last day. Is Las Vegas still gonna be home and should we expect another Las Vegas restaurant from you in the future? Well, Las Vegas is uh, gonna be home for now um, and uh, yeah, well, something will happen in the future. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, thanks a lot. Thanks for all the great meals and for all your time. And when did you say the last day was again? August 14. Something will happen in the future. I wonder what that'll be. I know Roy has been wanting to branch out to the burbs. I'm guessing it's going to be a very plant-based, locally sourced type thing. Obviously, we know him. I don't know if he was the first, but I think he was the most renowned to do farm-to-table um, and really did it the best on the strip. And those snack wagons were foodie events, man. You had to be there every month. It was Paul Liebrand. It was the Voltaggio brothers, John George, you know, Hubert Keller. And of course, like you said, all of the local talent. Um, we have some great memories from Harvest. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of great times there. And um, Roy's just a fantastic chef and a great supporter of the community. He will be missed. I hope he comes back and does some more stuff. He was a little tentative there in that cut. I, I was a little nervous about it. He likes to play it close to the vest. You want to hear a story about how the MGR, MGM PR people used to say that I had a, rom- a bromance with Roy Elamar. Um, one time I was doing a story on another very talented chef, uh, Christophe, Christophe de Lis over at uh, Joel Robeson, Sean. You know, I'm pronouncing all the words right today. It's you going are, really well, well with the English. I call him Christophe Delis, but he's incredibly talented, handpicked by Robeson to run that kitchen. And rightfully so, MGMPR was pushing him as like, you got to do an article on him. But while I was sitting there eating at Robeson, I was like, you know who you guys should push more? Roy Elamar. That guy's an amazing talent. And they were like, what? Well, you're in Robeson. Why aren't you? Why aren't you talking about that? I'm like, you got harvest you got to push that too i mean i gotta say jason you're like one of those guys that like you know if you get back in the old days when we get a band's demo tape right and you're like the only person that has the band's tape like you think they're the greatest thing ever and then kind of when the world discovers them you're like always that guy that's like i was the first one who had that and the rest of you are stupid for liking them now That's fair. That is a fair assessment, Al. I cannot debate that. Hey, in other sad news, man, after about a year and a half, Paradise City Creamery will end its pop-up at Garage East in the Arts District on September 5th. I caught up with the head creamstress, Valerie Stunning, to chat about what she's accomplished there and what's next. Here's what it sounded like. You are taking my favorite downtown dessert away from me. What is going on with Paradise City? Uh, I don't want to say that I'm taking it away from you. Uh, we are just evolving. It's time for us to move on and be open to new adventures. We started in March 2020. Uh, literally when the pandemic hit, Mario had reached out and was like, hey, uh, we need some food to stay open and your spot just closed because we were doing things with artifice and I think it could be a good fit. And so we were like, yeah, let's try it. And initially it was only supposed to be like throughout the lockdown. And it worked out so well, and we ended up having such a great symbiotic relationship with the guys that were like, uh, wine and ice cream forever. Like, let's go. And yeah, so a year and a half, here we are. What was your favorite flavor that you got to roll out during that that two years? Oh, that's a toughie. Um, I'm always really partial to our more spice-forward or savory flavors. I really love our current one that's on the menu. It's Boy Toy. It's a sweet cream and black pepper with a blueberry basil swirl. You know, a lot's been made about kind of the um, the very flirtatious or the very um, exotic names for your ice cream flavors that you do there. Um, But we, one thing that I didn't get to speak about as much as I would have liked when I interviewed you for the RJ was that I I believe a portion of the proceeds of everything you do has gone to sex workers or or former sex workers. Could you talk a bit about the money you've raised for charity and why why that was important to you? Yes, so I come from a community organizing background. Uh, I've been in the Las Vegas Sex Workers Collective and SWAN, which is uh, the Sex Workers Alliance of Nevada. And in that, I learned a lot about the power of giving through mutual aid and fundraising that way. And so I knew when I started Paradise City Creamery, I always wanted a percentage of proceeds to go back to community organizations that are doing the work that support the people that I feel are misrepresented or underrepresented here in Las Vegas. It's like we are, we're always trying to give to people who are either 
LGBTQ or sex worker, obviously, or um, black, brown, indigenous, people of color. Obviously my partner, Angie, she's, uh, she's Asian American, Pacific Islander. And so with all of that coming up, we, we try to just pick something that's close to our hearts and then steer it that way. So what's next for Paradise City? Uh, actually, we can't really say. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things where we're like, hey guys, we only have a month left at this spot where everyone knows us. Uh, and we can't really let you know what we're doing next because we have a couple of things that we're really excited about, but nothing is finalized. And I'm the kind of person, for example, when I decide to take a trip or travel somewhere, I don't tell anyone, I don't tell anyone where I'm going until I've bought the ticket, you know? So until the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, I don't feel comfortable really okay. releasing the information but know that it's going to be downtown we're still going to be part of the community and uh it's just going to be an evolution of what we're doing now so val also keeping it close to the vest there but a little more optimistic i felt than roy about that we're going to be seeing her soon uh, I, I have a guess without knowing i have a guess i know that they're opening that new vegan cooking school and a vegan cafe, I bet you they're going to open a vegan dessert shop right in there with uh, Paradise Creamery. And Jason's guess has absolutely no evidence behind it. No. Let's keep that clear. No, so that's what I said. I, I'd lay his, what would we put the odds at that for, Jason? You're a gambling man. Uh, I'd say 30%, but she said it? they're going to stay downtown. And it's like, you know, that's that's a great way to stay a part of that community. Wherever she goes, we know that they're going to succeed. She and Angie are both very talented. Yeah, and we need to have them back on to talk um, a bit more about being women in this industry and um, also we don't have them on our LGBTQ episode, but I'd love to have them come on for, you know, talk about those topics and um, all the woke stuff that you and I do like to talk about. Yeah, so. we have an LGBTQ <laughs> episode, do we? Yeah, coming up very soon. But in the meantime, we still got to get to a bit more news. And this is some great news, right? Yes. Uh, Michael Mina, probably as good a celebrity chef as there is in the world. Uh, if you look at his tree of all the chefs he work with, uh, works with, how well they succeed with him uh, this week. In San Francisco, he announced that his, uh, yes, we're using the word again, eponymous restaurant is, quote, evolving into uh, Estiatorio Hornos, a Michael Mina restaurant in partnership with, quote, my dear friends, Girard, I can't, and Nikos. I'm going to, that's our boys. Those are our boys. He, he did say their names. He said their Greek last names yeah, in I his wasn't post. Do Michael it, was but... not running away from yeah. that one. So those are our friends from Meraki, and we've had uh, Jerry on the show before, and they have uh, an Ornos in Miami already, and this was in the works for a while. I'm super excited. I think we're going to have to make a trip up to San Francisco and go to this. Yeah, well, I love going to San Francisco, so there's no no reason for me to put you off on that one like I do on most of the road trip suggestions you make but I did you know since we're talking about this you and I just saw um Jarrer, or as Jerry as I we call, call him, Jerry, him. Yeah. and um we did talk to him about their Miami restaurant which is the same concept that they're bringing into San Francisco here is a bit of what he had to say Michael has been you know a mentor of mine and we had this incredible opportunity to um you know do something really special in Miami obviously you know teaming up with the Mina group and and them having you know this doing fine dining so well for so many years um it was just a natural kind of fit so the project in miami is kind of our love affair with the coastal cuisine of greece um so it's a little more uh upscale obviously than meraki um and we, you know we're importing fish daily and nico uh you guys all know nico as well he was a chef in milos for a while so um he's running the show down there and we've been very fortunate they welcome us with open arms and um, you know, Miami's such a special place. It was just a natural fit being on the coast, doing the you know the coastal cuisine of Greece, and being with an incredible um, uh, team like the Mina Group. I also asked Jerry um, what Las Vegas would see first, whether it would be its own Estiatorio Ornos or whether it would be um, more Meraki locations, which I'd be fine with either, to be honest. But here's what he had to say: You'll definitely see another Meraki before that. We we do have plans for that, but that's. Uh, that's a ways out, um, but Meraki has been um, has been uh, growing as well. So we actually just opened up our uh, second store off of Charleston and Fort Apache, and again we've been we've been very lucky. It, it kind of took off. So we're we're still in that learning curve. Multi-unit operations, it's it's different than having one unit. So we're learning how to how to put things together properly and, and making sure things are consistent throughout the company. Um, we have a couple more that we we just signed. So St. Rose uh, should be open. 
early 2022. And then we're looking at Blue Diamond area as well as Centennial. So um, we're excited about that as well. Congrats to Jerry, Nico, and the MENA team. And we know the MENA group is expanding to the suburbs as well with some other projects that we are only allowed to talk about a little. Well, they, yeah, they have mentioned that they're going into um, Uncommons, right? So yeah. that's been announced. So we're psyched about that. That's right down the street from my house. So I'm excited about that. Jason, you've been getting oh, published recently. I got another article out, and you're, you eviscerated me when you saw it. And I love that, Al. Uh, I wrote about Kaizeki Yuzu, which is maybe the most difficult restaurant in the city to find. And uh, it's a pretty great place. Um, you know, the chef is doing really, really high-end Kaizeki meals over there. you got to spend 100 150 bucks. But, Al, um, I recommend this restaurant. I recommend going for a good Kaizeki meal. But tell them why you took me to town on this one. Well, first of all, it's over at offthestrip.com, and I recommend people go look at all of your writings over there. Great, great publication, and I'm enjoying it. Um, but and I don't know what's going on in the buzzing in my ears, so I'm hoping that that is not going to be buzzing on this <laughs> on this podcast for our friends. But anyway, I just unplugged my earphones, so you're going to have to bear with me. My problem with the Kaiseki um, Yuzu story was the headline, and it was something along the lines of, meet the only person doing Kaiseki in Las Vegas, which kind of cracked me up because I had written about Kaiseki in the Review Journal maybe three years ago as a new up-and-coming trend. I realized we did have a, a pandemic in between that, that made some people maybe not do giant Kaiseki meals, but um, there's certainly other people doing it. Uh, did I write the headline now? None of us ever write our own headlines, so we all get a pass when it comes to headlines. Uh, but you're right. You're right to take that headline to task. And this chef over there is uh, Chef Azuchi and uh, Super Talent. Yeah, and we're going to need to talk a bit more in detail about what kaiseki is, what omakase is. I've got a story coming out on omakase shortly that's going to kind of mix up what people know that word to mean. But that will be for our Japanese episode, which we need to now put on the damn schedule. Well, that sounds good, Al. And, and you know, you're right on the headline. But, hey, it's cool that Off the Strip is letting us publish such interesting pieces like yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're a great publication. And no, no disrespect to the headline writers um, because I've never, ever worked at a publication where I've had control over my headlines and I've always taken shit from chefs who didn't like my headlines. So I had to give a little back to you in this case. Um, hey, man, back to cannabis, my friend. Oh, you got something about, new, huh? Yeah, well, you know, I still do want to do these kind of impromptu reviews and I want you to taste this. This is a company called C-A-N-N, Can, Cannabis-Infused ah. Social Tonic. And these are beverages, man. They're tiny little... Cute little beverages. And what I dig about these, you know, because I've told you the deal with edibles is 10 milligram dose. Most people think it's small, but if you're not a big edible user, you take 10 milligrams of THC, it might knock you on your ass and it could take a couple hours to get into you. What I like about these little cans is that there's only two milligrams of THC in them, along with four milligrams of CBD. They are these little carbonated beverages. And um, this one, I'm going to give it to you first because I know you're the more German. Oh, look, I got a glass for you. This is blood orange cardamom. Oh, which, I like those flavors. And it's got bubbles in it. Here we go with the bubbling. And it makes me wonder, Al, could you use this as a mixer with uh, other... other... <laughs> for a guy who doesn't drink, you always want to put vodka in everything, man. <laughs> so tell me what you think about this, because I think this is a really complex, um, interesting little... Have beverage. you smelled it? It smells like cardamom. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, it does. And that masks over that kind of weed smell and taste that you get from so many edibles. Jason's drinking it. I like it. When you hear blood orange, you think it's going to be really sweet, but this is definitely a savory, mellow. A sharp. Yeah, it's mellow. It's super mellow. I would drink one of these anytime. I like that the card. It's cardamom forward, Al. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what so. it is. And I do feel like if I were to have something that tasted like this in a high-end cocktail lounge, again, there's no alcohol in this, but if I had this in a high-end cocktail lounge, I would be like, wow, this is a really creative this is a creative mixologist that did this. It's a savory, herbaceous kind of beverage, and you don't get a lot of that. I might throw a little citrus, a, a wedge of lemon or lime in there to give me that uh, extra layer. You know I love my acid in there, Al, but uh, it's good. <laughs> don't I, take it with acid. <laughs> that's, a different, that's a different thing altogether. But this is good. I, um, uh, I'm glad that you had me try it. And I'm not stoned yet, Al. No, I mean, again, two milligrams per can. So, like, seriously, to get the equivalent of one gummy, you'd have to drink five of these cans. I feel like you could definitely drink this at a party. You know, the same way people drink beer. You don't really drink beer to get drunk, but you can, right? And that's sort of the same deal, I would Small say. enough to sneak into a movie theater in case they ever show Smokey and the Bandit on the big screen again. Shout out to Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, 
<laughs> what is it, eastbound and down? <laughs> yeah, eastbound. Yeah. Got a long, long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> oh, and that, my friends, is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thank you to all of our guests, Philip Sang, Emily Romero, Valerie Stunning, Gerard, oh, that's yeah. just Jerry! Jerry, and Royden Elamar. And if you like what you heard, please join us again next time. We will drop new episodes every Friday. Next week, we are taking a return visit to DW Bistro, and we are going to talk about the state of LGBTQ-owned, operated, friendly, and just all-around lovable bars and restaurants here in Las Vegas. And, and spoiler alert, we, we recorded that segment. It is great, and what fun we had recording it already. Right, so... Jason, tell them where they can find the rest of our stuff. Oh, yeah. I'll tell them, and then they can tell a friend if they like it. Please tell your friends about Food and Loathing. You can subscribe or follow at any podcast platform. And if you do subscribe through Apple, please leave us a nice review. Five stars. Reach us directly uh, by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. On social media, you can search Facebook for Food and Loathing Pod. On Twitter, we're at Food Loathing. And on Instagram, you can look up most of our lovely photos, mostly taken by Al, at Food and Loathing pod okay and with jason harris and producer rich johnson who is going to have to go through this momentarily and make sure we didn't screw anything up i'm al mancini stay hungry